Okay. We're live. Walt, you're a little blurry. blurry. Sudden. You're very blurry. I gotta fix that somehow. Either that or my oh, eyes go. are really going. Yeah, I'm now back. you're sharp. I love Actually, it. Actually, you're blurry as well, Rich. Really? Internet connections are going. Yeah. Welcome everyone who's uh, who's joining us. You also look right. pale. I mean, I definitely am you sitting okay? in my office. I'm getting way too much. I'm, I'm not getting enough sunlight. I definitely need to go out and watch some athlete unlimited games and actually get some color because you, are you do not gonna, get a lot. Do you want to go into the shield, Rich? I would love to go inside the shield. <laughs> okay, so right, let's, um, let's, let's get started. So I'm Rich Greenfield on behalf of Walt Pysik and Brandon Ross, my partners at Lightshed. We're really excited to do something we've never done before, which is to showcase a new sports league. Uh, we've got John Patrickoff and Jonathan Soros, the co-founders of Athletes Unlimited. And then as a special surprise for everyone, we have two athletes, two star Olympian athletes uh, who are top in their sport of, of softball. We have Victoria Hayward and Kat Osterman. They're going to tell us about kind of their experience. But let's before we even get started the entire concept of starting a new league. I think when, when you hear, I'm going to start a new sports league, the initial gut reaction that most people would have is that's been tried before. It fails. You lose a lot of money. You blow investors' money, and it, it, this never works. And we've had repeated attempts at you know, XFL just recently. I mean, over and over again, what in the world made the two, John and Jonathan, like, what made the two of you decide, hey, we're going to go start a sports league in 2020? I mean, let's, even before we get to COVID, which we'll get to, but even before that, this was a plan you had early in the year. Why? So um, I'll start off because that's exactly what I said to Jonathan when he proposed this idea to me. I said, why in the world would we go start a new sports league? Do you know how many people have failed doing this? And um, the genesis of this is that you go back actually almost two years now. Um, I uh, was still at New York City Football Club, the MLS team in New York. I'd seen the growth of soccer over the course of the three years I'd been at the club. Um, and I thought there was an opportunity in pro women's sports. Jonathan and myself and actually um, one of Jonathan's partners, uh, Salil Shashadi, we started talking about the ideas and opportunities. And out of the idea of investing in some of the existing leagues and existing franchises, we migrated very quickly, and, and Jonathan gets all of the credit for this, saying, what if there's a different way you could actually go create a league? You didn't have to deal with some of the challenges that exist, some of the challenges that are posed by the existing structure of an existing league, commissioners, ownership, et cetera. I said, you're crazy. This is never going to work. And we went back and forth for six months. And I said, well, okay, maybe if you do it this way. And Jonathan laid out a whole set of ideas, all of which kind of are what are at the, at the core of Athletes Unlimited. And we worked through them and said, okay, if we do it this differently and try to adjust some of these things, maybe, maybe, just maybe, if we pull it off, it could work. And so um, we had the exact same, I certainly had the exact same reaction. And Jonathan gets the credit for being one who kind of said from the beginning, I think we can do it differently and, and we have a shot. But why you two? Like, I guess, like, what's, the, what's the reason that you two decided, like, this is, like, from a background standpoint? I mean, John, we've known each other forever from Tribeca through uh, New York Football Club. And I know you've had a passion for sports in general and live entertainment in general. But, Jonathan, I, I presume you've never started a sports league before, have never owned sports teams or, or whatnot. Like, what's the connection of, like, why sports leagues? Um, well, so first of all, you know, one of the great things about working with John is he'll, he'll wait a good six to nine months before telling you you're crazy. Um, so he, I knew he was thinking it from day one, but he didn't say it out loud. Um, and it's actually one of the gifts of, of, of getting things done is, is meeting people where they are and, and, and bringing them along. And, and 
John's done an incredible job. Um, no, I've never, I've not, I never, obviously never started a sports league before. I, I, I was a, I'm honestly a bit of a lapsed, lapsed sports fan. Um, you know, I was a, 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 a avid fan growing up. I was even a, a, a Mets ticket holder for years uh, after the 2000 uh, World Series. Um, but, you know, it's sort of grown, grown weary of it. Um, and so, you know, the idea of, um, the idea of bringing a new way for, for athletes and fans to create community together was, was really inspiring on, a, on its own. Um, John, uh, you know, and I'd been thinking about some of those ideas. John brought the, the, the investing ideas, which we talked about. Um, you know, it's very, very clear that, um, that female athletes overall are, are undervalued um, and their fans are underserved. Um, and that the, you know, the, the, the existing models have struggled to break through. Um, so the thought was if we could actually say, no, this is, this is something completely new. Um, it, it, this is not about, uh, this is not just about, uh, uh, you know, running women's leagues or, or, or having female athletes. This is about a new way to, to do sports. We're going to do this with um, absolutely top incredible athletes uh, at the top of their game um, and bring attention to, to them, their, their, their excellence, um, and, and build from there. Can you talk about what differentiates your league besides the fact that you started with women? Um, what differentiates your league from some of the other sports leagues that are out there? Yeah. So go ahead, Jonathan. So, so there's a bunch of stuff and I'll, I'll start with, so, cause it's really both off on the field and off the field. So on the field, um, you know, we've sort of upended traditional league format where, um, instead of tracking teams, you're tracking individual athletes. And so in a team sport, we've built an individual leaderboard um, where literally on every play of the season, uh, the leaderboard has the opportunity to change. Um, so we've done that. We've condensed the season uh, in softball. We ran a five week, five weeks of play, three games a week uh, a season where, I mean, I, again, as, as somebody who is a lapsed fan, um, I love watching, uh, I love watching uh, you know, this, the, everyone in this league play, but I'm literally hanging on every pitch. Um, and so those are the core, you know, and, and then the teams are switching every week. It's part of how that system, uh, how that system works. So you play together for a week, um, you know, Kat and Victoria can talk about, um, you know, the drafts and how that process has worked. They've both been captains multiple times. Um, but each, the top four in the leaderboard each week are picking their own teams um, and resetting for the, for, the, for the next week, playing together for, for a couple of days. I'm going to take a second and say, off the field, we've tried to do things um, completely differently as well. So um, we have built a community for, of, of 50, now 57 athletes. Um, from day one, um, when, when Victoria and several of, uh, of the other players came to our offices in, in New York, um, we engaged uh, a handful of the players as, as consultants. Um, we talk to them every week, um, sometimes multiple times a week, but we meet together once a week. And we have gone through with them every aspect of the league from, from development to, you know, to what color are the bases, uh, and, um, which ended up being white, but there was a moment there. Um, so, you know, so, so bringing the athletes into decision-making at the highest level from day one has been incredibly important. Um, we built an ownership model where all the athletes are participants in the profits of the league over 20 years um, for each of them, 20 years. Uh, we built a, 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 um, a civic, a civic leadership model um, uh, from the start. So it's, it's both on the field and off the field um, trying to really shift the way that players and owners and fans um, interact. 
I wanted to focus a little on the focus on the player versus the team. First of all, does that tie in any way to the athlete's compensation, um, first of all? And second of all, why, I mean, generally, like I think about my history as a sports fan, it was like Mets, Giants, whatever. <laughs> I always followed the jersey. So very sad for the last decade is basically what you're getting at. You know, Giants got a couple of rings. So, so Brandon, let me hit that for a couple of things. So a couple of things about the business model, because I want to start with the business model and then we'll let Kat and Victoria talk about it. So, so here are the key insights, right? First is Athletes Unlimited is a network of pro sports leagues. So we're starting with pro women's softball. The next league will be volleyball. We have a third league set up. So we realize very quickly you need scale, right? As a startup sports league and thinking about it, any of the any of the non-four majors, one of the biggest challenges is you simply don't have scale. So our way of getting scale is not by having 20 teams around the country about growing a league through expansion fees. It's multiple sports. That's a totally new concept. The second was... Brandon, you're getting a little older. You know, the reality is younger fans are following athletes. They're not following teams. I always love the insight that, you know, when you think about the Lakers, you think about Manchester City, um, something like 98% of the fans will never go to see a game in person. So we know that this global model of consumption is moving a lot away from, you know, what happens in the stadium, the real values created in the media and the storytelling. And so when we started a, a, a league from scratch, it was, Pre-COVID, which is a crazy concept, let's do this all in one city, let's do it in a condensed season, and let's make it all about the storytelling in the media and not worry so much about renting stadiums out. I mean, it always you know, boggled my mind that you'd start a new football league and you'd go and you'd rent out MetLife Stadium and you basically are playing for the benefit of you know the owners of the stadium that you're renting. So let's find small venues that scale well, that make sense, and then let's actually try to invest where it matters, which is you know in the players and not in travel and not in stadium rental. So that was kind of how do we shift the business model around. You know, one of our prior Zooms with Gary V, he talked about this as being one of the problems with the MLB um, and the fact that they haven't let some of the personalities sure. shine. And it was a very interesting Zoom that I think, Rich, you retweeted back out talking about how many people wouldn't know the top five players in the MLB, even though these might be the best players ever. So obviously, you know, switching to Cat and Victoria now, first, like what was the, just the concept when you first heard about a professional league for, for softball? What was going through your mind at the time? And, and is there an opportunity for, for um, the individual players to develop their personalities within the league? Um, so I had played professionally in the NPF for eight years um, prior to this, retired in 2015 and unretired. And actually some of the players that they were consulting with um, the end of last fall were on the national team. And when they brought the idea to me, um, I was probably like John, when Jonathan brought it up for the first time, I was like, this is crazy. There's no way like, one, I'm supposed to be retired in July, so I'm not going to play it. But two, like, good luck. I don't see how this is going to work. Um, but then as it kept going on, um, obviously, you hear the whole model and everything, and it, it sold us all. But um, I think as much as there's the individual aspect, um, as far as earning points for your performance, this has brought in a whole new dynamic to the buy-in of a team concept, because we get points and um, bonuses and such for team wins and inning wins that it just allowed us a whole new concept of being able to bond together within a quick time because we have three practices and then we have to go play three games and then you change the team the next week. Um, so with that, as an athlete, you have to kind of know who you are as an like individual and your identity and then be able to bring that to the team. And then obviously as older players, we have to be able to try to help 
mold teams, especially when you're a captain, by accepting everyone's individuality and their personality and even their individual talents um, and bring that all together and hopefully put the best product on the field that week. Yeah, I think uh, having been in, in the sport for quite a number of years, we've seen such great growth on the college side, specifically with the Women's College World Series. And so membership, uh, viewership was increasing, um, doing so well compared to all other college uh, playoffs. And I think there was just a real disconnect from the players. Like, hey, you love us then. Why aren't you loving and following us into our professional careers? And so uh, although it was different, I think the model that captures the attention at the Women's College World Series, there is the storytelling. There's uh, the highlights of individual athletes and, and kind of seeing them as a little bit more holistic than, than just being an athlete. Uh, taking those things and really creating a league around that uh, was something that we had seen succeed so we could really buy into that concept. So what was that fan base like in college? What was that fan base like? Was it very player focused? Is it, and what was the demo of that fan base that, that has carried over and how, how have you seen it broaden in these early kind of uh, early days of the new league? Yeah. So I, although there are teams you're playing for your college at the women's college world series, people are just fans of the women's college world series itself. Um, Kind of like our model, every moment matters, every pitch matters. The tension is high. Um, There's, there's a lot on the line and it's in a short amount of time. So you can watch every single pitch. You can watch every single game over kind of a a 10 day period and softball players, softball fans, they love it. And so I think that idea of something condensed, something where, it's not really the teams, it's the atmosphere, it's the camaraderie, it's the really high-level competition. Um, we've seen people who fell in love with those players at the Women's College World Series be able to follow them into our league. You know, there is a long history of rules and scoring of sports. You know, I often fall asleep watching baseball games. Um, you know, I, I, I guess when you when you look at the model that um, John and Jonathan have helped build with you all. Oh, look, we just got real authenticity. <laughs> I love it. I love it. A future softball player in the making, maybe volleyball, but one or the other. Um, but where I was going with this is when you think about the, the change in scoring and the change in like how the game works, how accepting were the fans? I mean, you said that there's a lot of, you know, college fans who love the, the, the women's softball how accepting are they when the whole rules and structure of the game sort of is turned upside down by athletes unlimited? So we, um, uh, so, so a couple of things. So, so one is um, we haven't changed the rules upside down. If you came and watched it, you know, you go to watch our games on, on ESPN or, or on CBS. There's still, th- there's still three outs. There's still three outs. It's still seven innings. It's, you know, it, it, it you effectively can follow it. So really it's an enhancement. What And Kat and, and Victoria said it really well. The enhancement is that while you're watching it, you can have this amazing second screen experience where you can follow our leaderboard on our website and see it update every, every play. So in addition to be rooting for the teams, the players win most of their points for how well their team does each inning and each game. So they're focused on winning each inning as a fan. You can tell that the the final score matters, all of that. But in addition, you can see that if they achieve something individually, their points are moving up and down. And so you got that fun dynamic. It's very much, you know, it has that a little bit of that fantasy football experience. And for a lot of us who still love, you know, our respective football team will watch that game, but we're also watching that second screen and watching how players are doing in our fantasy, on our fantasy team. So that's, 
that's where fans are today. Um, and I think that's what sped it up. And, and to go, you know, to the starting point, you know, the sport and Vic talked about it well with the excitement around the, on the women's college world series, but you know, softball is a great sport. You know, it was on our screen. We did a screen rich of all the potential opportunities. We could have taken this athletes unlimited model and gone into any sport. Softball really came to the top as one, which, had this great, robust product at the college level, but not really. At the was it always clear you were doing women's sports first? Um, that's really where we started. I mean, Jonathan and I talked about other opportunities, but it really is like the biggest untapped opportunity. And especially around these kind of key fundamental areas. I think, you know, both of us um, have been attracted to things in, in our lives, like of trying to have a, a good impact on the world, seeing opportunities maybe where other people don't. And so I think we're both attracted to the challenge of this and like, knowing that there's something here that should be done. But on top of it, when you think about where fans are going, how much the off-field character matters, how much people are following individual athletes, it's like really clear, you know, Victoria and Kat and their fellow athletes are are just really compelling. And they have a lot of fans that want to follow them. So we realized there was a big opportunity here. And when you say a lot of fans, maybe Kat or Victoria, any sense on like how many, you know, women, young girls are playing softball at various levels across the country? You know, I, I can answer that one since I, I okay. got all that research. Uh, I don't have to put them on the spot for that one. But but you're talking about, I'll just give you the example. I mean, softball and volleyball, which are the two sports we're starting at, are huge participation sports. So they're among the top sports. Volleyball has more youth uh, high school players than basketball does, as an example. Um, but ESPN broadcasts 1,500 college uh uh, uh, college uh, softball games a year. So the demand there is so tremendous and you've really seen it, it across the board. So it's a growing sport and one that's, that's really popular. Can you talk a little bit about the economics of the league and how compensation works and um, how you're in terms of the business model, how you're building value over time. Obviously, we're in COVID now, and the shield is sort of the way sports are run. Um, but is this meant to be a for broadcast, or is it also for for live audiences as well? Yes. So, um, in terms of the business model. Um, the 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 uh, the main driver is the media sponsorship, and and we've actually built out a really interesting, which we're excited about the prospects of this kind of national like fan club concept. Where right now um, we've had people sign up for what we call our unlimited club, where which gives you access to the games, you get access to a dugout can, you get to vote, vote on player MVPs that actually go into our scoring system, virtual meet and greets. So after the, the draft tonight, which will be streamed on Facebook Live, you stick around and one of our players will sign balls for you and we'll send them and get the ball. So we've created this whole virtual experience because why build a fan base you know, for you know, just people that are in Chicago or just people in New York? Why not, if you're gonna be a, a sports property, build, build a fan base for people anywhere in the world? And right now our broadcasts are not just in the US, we actually are broadcasting these games around the world through uh, OTT services. So we're giving like a global footprint. So it has to be about the media. It has to be about the sponsorship. It has to be a kind of a direct consumer revenue, but it's not going to be about tickets and, and butts and seats. I mean, we, we ultimately will have fans in the stadium. It's important, but that's not going to be the driver of, of revenue. And, and this was always the plan. And that's kind of where our focus is. And you just have to decide what are you going to do best? You can't do everything at once. And instead of building up a big ticketing organization and worrying about local ticketing marketing, we're just focused on how do we build the amazing media product and how do we connect with fans, you know, across, across, you know, digital platforms. 
In the U.S., you did deals with, I think, ESPN and CBS. Why did you decide to start with traditional television when building uh, a league from scratch and, and didn't go kind of the digital route where maybe there were some opportunities for more interactivity with the athletes? Yep. So, Vic, you want to talk this about was, this? Was actually this was a long time coming. There were many weeks of conversations about about this, and that's where, uh, in my role as head of the player executive committee, I was in a lot of those conversations, which is really unique to our league. Um, as softball players, we'd seen such great success from the coverage that we had gotten on ESPN, and that's how we traditionally seen our sport grow. So, for the athletes, it was important to be able to capitalize on people being able to turn on ESPN and see our sport because that's how we feel it grows best. When people see it, they like it. And so the more exposure we could get through traditional models, we knew we would have a great content team being able to put out digital content across other platforms, but that access we would be able to get through a traditional television contract uh, was really important to the players. And so Things obviously with COVID uh, took a little bit of a turn. So the exposure we were able to get opening day on um, on ESPN Network and, and throughout the season have been huge for us uh, making a stance and and just being able to get the exposure that we feel our sport deserves. If I could just add to that, I mean, I think that it's also it's it's definitely been a yes and. Um, so if, you know, if you're watching our games on on ESPN or, or CBS, there is a lot of interactivity in, in those broadcasts. So we've got. Players Maybe explain it to the viewers. Like, give us yeah, a yeah. deal. So, I'm, so, so, I'm assuming most people have not. I mean, then, I watched then, the game the other night, but like, I'm assuming most people have not watched. So, like, yeah. walk us through what that experience feels like and what makes it different than watching the Mets lose last night. Yeah. So, so let's start for a second with where with where John started with the membership oh. club. So, so that's going on while the broadcast is going on. So, if you're a member, you're actually uh, have the opportunity to 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 be in an in, uh, in an informal uh, in dugout chat during the first inning with some of the players who are, who are live in the game as a member. You know, in that moment, um, and then you can watch those. You have those camera angles to watch that are unique to you as a member during the whole game. You have our social posts are going on with with um, uh, with updates live throughout the game. So all of that's still happening. All of that social element is still happening. But then within the broadcast itself, we've had player we have players mic'd up actually while they're playing. Um, so you'll get you know a half inning or a full inning of of a player chatting with the with the um, with our broadcast hosts who've been terrific. You know during the game, we've got other sort of clips and and, and mic'd up moments uh, brought in. We've got features um, that have been that have been uh, taped with the athletes about their uh, their cause programs and their motivations and their lessons from life and just a a wide array of, of content that, again, it all wraps together with, with helping everyone out there get to know the athletes better and have a more interactive and, and deeper experience. So it's, it's, it's yes and by being there. We've got the, you know, the great audience that's built in with, the, with, with Linear TV, um, but we can do the other elements too. So in your discussions with ESPN and CBS and whoever else, uh, you know, when we were kind of putting all this together, what what were they looking for in 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 terms of to get out of this in terms of um, taking this on? I mean, are they paying for this? Is this a revenue uh, advertising revenue s- split? And and if not, then ultimately, do you see that going um, for them paying for the content within some time frame? 
So, so those were, I'm going to be you know, very frank, not easy conversations, right? It's not like we walked in with this idea and everyone says, oh, great. Like we're putting it on, you know, ESPN, you're going to get, you know, 15 slots and here you go. It's just not the way it works. I mean, yep. people had the same reaction that you guys probably would have heard what you're starting a new league, what you're starting with women's sports, what it's a whole new model. You're trying to reinvent sports, which is not something that typically, you know, I think that actually was a big impediment, right? I think if we'd come along and say, we're just starting a traditional softball league. It would have actually been better in some respects for, for them than, oh, you're changing the rules because they're worried about putting something on TV and then having it not work, right? What if it looks crazy or viewers can't follow it? So we were really fortunate. CBS signed on, ESPN signed on. Um, and, you know, it's it's a really, it's a long build. I think the choice you make early on in starting a league is really, there's really two choices. Are you going to put it behind a paywall and try to get subscription revenue, get somebody to pay you a small rights fee. And that's option A. Or option B is, are you going to try to get a lot of exposure and try to get it brought? When we decided pretty early on, like, and, and Vic and, and the other players were pretty adamant about it. Like, hey, if we're going to go do this and do this right, like we want a big audience. We want to play in front of a lot of people. And for us, the key is they're not giving us a lot of revenue up front. But what we're doing is we get a lot of rights for us to pass on to partners. We also get a lot of the content back after a, a sm- short window to put on our channels. So we're rebroadcasting games on MSG and Nesson and Altitude. So a lot of people in the New York area will turn on and we've already heard from a lot of people watching it on a, on a Thursday night or something on, on MSG. So for us, it's how do we keep all those rights? How do we get a lot of exposure? How do we do highlights deals with Wave and get it out there? And of course, um, that's where we're building value, which is let's get a lot of eyeballs. It's got a lot of exposure. Let's drive value for our, our, our advertising partners. And then, you know, we'll, we're, we're going to evolve that model as we go. Um, just a reminder to the audience that we do have a Q&A box. So if you have any questions um, for this team, um, please type them in. I think we actually just got one um, from Sean Carey. Uh, but it's it's a topic that I think we're going to get to a little later. Just following up on on um, the RSN, what's it? Why were RSNs interested in this? They're usually just solely local sports. You don't usually see anything with national appeal in there. Um, you know, without going into too much of the detail, I mean, I think that um, clearly we're in a unique moment right now, right? I mean. COVID's horrible. It's, you know, it's upended so many businesses and lives and everything. I don't think, I think it goes without saying, but, you know, for, for startup organizations like ours, it's, it has created some interesting new opportunities. And I think that for some of those RSNs that didn't have necessarily exactly the content they thought they would have, um, that presented an opportunity. And two, we got some inbound calls. I'll be honest on the RSN front from people who just said, listen, we've loved women's sports. We've tried to think about what to do. We really haven't had the right opportunity this sounds like a really cool opportunity and they themselves know that, you know, there's an audience out for it. So um, we were really fortunate to get some inbound actually on the RSN side. Um, I guess the question that sort of the natural question for Kat is you've been doing this a long time. Like you've, and you've seen this from the beginning and helped John and Jonathan build this, but the two of you on the screen are just two of 57 players. I, I guess the, the logical question is, how in the world did you get 55 other women to say, let's go do this? And um, like, I assume you had to convince them that they weren't, that you weren't crazy, but like, why do 55 other women follow the two, you know, follow you to do this? Well, I'm probably going to defer to Vic because her, Gwen, Haley, um, and some others were, 
I was probably one more towards the end of the ones that joined because um, as I mentioned, I was supposed to be done playing after the Olympics, but with the Olympic postponement, I needed to play and I had heard about this. And so I reached out um, so I can talk more of as one of those that followed. Um, sure. So start with that. Like, I mean, what, why would you follow? I mean, this is sort of a, a, you know, for something that hasn't existed before, like why be part of this? Um, well, it, I mean, it's a very untraditional model, which I think at first takes us aback because you want to think about like the purity of the game and this and that. But once you hear the presentation, the game's the same. Um, we haven't changed anything as far as rules of the game. So we're still playing. And then, as I said, once you realize that you almost get more points with innings and team wins, it's not an individualistic thing. So it's not going to be 57 people, 56 people here vying just for themselves. Um, so once you hear the whole model and on, on top of it, the, the other, everything else that comes with it, they've, they've mentioned off field programs, um, helping us be able to benefit charities and organizations that we work with, things like that. All of that couples in and it's like, why wouldn't you do it? Um, they give us a good base salary to come play for six weeks. They had everything taken care of. I mean, honestly, I played in a pretty decent environment in the NPF um, as far as my owner went, but this is probably one of the most professional things I've been part of. Um, and it's, that's huge to say, cause I, I have, I've been in the professional realm for a long, long time, but they thought of everything from, from meals and dealing with COVID. And, um, so when you talk about being able to come play elite softball for six weeks and, um, everything that comes with it from our base salary to incentives, to the charity aspect, all of it, it's like you, you it's a, it's a no brainer. It really was a no brainer once the whole presentation was put out. So in terms of the professionalism of the league, obviously the big thing for us all right now is, is how we're dealing with COVID. So um, good opportunity to go to Josh's question. Have you managed to, and how have you managed, or maybe from your perspective, have you seen um, the league managed uh, to ensure the safety of all the athletes and staff so far? And has there been any issues that have popped up thus far? Um, you know, they put us in a um, pretty strict kind of no contact, like, start to social distance ourselves from everybody starting August 1st. And then we got tested before we came here. Um, and then on our way here, um, personally, I drove with another teammate and, you know, we had, they booked the hotel for us in and out. We didn't come into contact with people. And then once we were here, um, we've developed what we call the, uh, athletes unlimited shield. Um, John or Jonathan, one of them coined it. So we'll let them fight over it later. But um, we literally can only go from the field to our, our residence, whether we're at a hotel or an apartment. Um, we have to use Instacart for groceries, for you know Uber Eats if you want food to come in. We don't go places and or and order or get. We really haven't been around civilization other than the 55 um, players and the athletes and limited staff that has been living in the Shield. So they really ensured that everything was taken care of um, for us you know, helped us set up Instacart, helped us know, you know, deliveries and everything that possibly can happen. Um, we've been prepared. There hasn't been a curveball thrown that, you know, no one was prepared for. I mean, so how, so other than being, thrown. other than being like a nice Avengers sounding name, what, what technically is the difference between a shield and what other sport leagues have defined as a bubble? So, so the so the reason we wanted to call it something else is a is a the bubble gave the impression that once you're once you're in it you can that sort of anything goes and and we spent a lot of time looking at the CDC guidelines and what the consequences were if the ever changing um, CDC guidelines <laughs> they, they've been pretty they've been, yeah they've been pretty consistent on certain points around how long you have to uh, you, you have to uh, do things 
Um, so, you know, what we really wanted, what we wanted to ensure was both for the, for the health of, of everyone involved, that if one person were, uh, were to test positive or to, or to get sick, that A, it wouldn't actually cause someone else to get sick, um, but B, that we'd minimize the risks that other people had to miss games out of, uh, out of quarantine and, and, and in order to, so that's why, we, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a simple little twist, but that's why we didn't call it a bubble. We wanted to make sure that everybody, they, we were shielding the athletes from the outside um, so that they were coming into very, very minimal contact with any other uh, possible, uh, you, know, influ- you know, incursion of the virus. But that behind that shield, um, there was still an abundance of caution that needed, needed to be taken. And that was the way to get through a, a five-week season. And, and you know, with our uh, great good fortune so far, we've really uh, not had any serious hiccups. Um, and, and, you know, we're going to have a, our, our, our last, last set of weekend games this, this weekend, and, and everybody's really looking forward to it. So I, will say, I will say just, I, sorry to add, I, you know, two things. One is I, I want to credit the 57 athletes. We were 56, we're now 57 athletes for maintaining that discipline over a five, six week period, really, if you include the time from when they arrived. It is not easy. Um, you know, uh, I, we've done everything we can to create a, an awesome environment for them to be playing and, and enjoying each other and all the rest. But they're away from family, they're away from friends. Um, so credit to all of them for um, you know putting in the discipline that it takes. No surprise, really, but uh, that that professional athletes would be disciplined. But 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 that. And the other thing, just coming back to the previous question, I want to give extra credit um, where it's due. That again, the folks who are playing athletes on limited softball in the inaugural season are real pioneers in in doing this, and they took a risk with us. They put their trust in us to to do things the right way. We're we're there's nothing more rewarding to hear some of the feedback from, from athletes talking about what a great experience they're having. Um, but you know, we're, we're heading into volleyball in, in February and March and um, you know, they've got something to look at now, you know, that as they're finishing their recruiting, they can say, Oh, wow, this is, this is really awesome and incredibly professional. Um, and they're, they're still taking a risk with us as well, but each step of the way it's, it's less and it, and it really was the, you know, the very first athletes who signed and then those they were able to bring along who were, who were the true pioneers. Well, one, so, of the other so, things, one of the things I'll just say about that is that, and, and, and Kat mentioned it, but, you know, obviously our safe health and safety was the primary consideration. But, but one of the big insights initially was fans care a lot about athletes on the field, but they also care about it off the field, right? They want to follow. They, we all know as fans, like we're all really want to know how do you live your life, see you having fun, see you enjoying yourself, following the ups and downs. And I think that one of the challenges that exists in pro sports today, which we all know, is the gulf between players and the teams and the owners and everything that's happening. And it's it, it's unsettling. I mean, there's a lot of things that are inspiring about seeing players take action. But, but the fact that there's not this unity, it, it hasn't it hasn't instilled that great sentiment. What What's happened within our shield is, and, and, and Victoria and Kat can speak to it, players are having a great time and, you know, we'll post videos of highlights and, you know, Kat and Victoria played so well and we'll get, we'll get a lot of traffic, but we'll get a lot of traffic also for our movie night or seeing them engage, you know, and, and, and do kind of some of the work we've done with uh, Abby Wambach's leadership development group called Wolfpack, where they're getting together to talk about leadership and development and fans love to see that as well. So what happens on the field is the most important thing, but when you're creating an entertainment product and media product, which is what sports is, it is about that camaraderie and they, and fans know when the players are loving it or into it 
And otherwise you hear in MLB, you know, some of the stories about players, you know, not really caring that much as much when it gets to the end of a season. So that's the opposite of what's here. You can see in the intensity and also the enjoyment. And that I think is what fans want. So with a relatively short season, this is obviously not your full-time career. This is not like the only thing that you do, I presume. Um, Victoria, kind of come back with that question I asked Kat, like, how do you convince 55 other women, including Kat, to come do this? It's obviously, I mean, the money's going to grow, I assume, as the sport grows and as the league grows. But like, how did you get people to like commit to this? Because obviously, I assume it has to what John was saying, it's going to help other sports that Athletes Unlimited tries to do. But as the first mover... How do you even begin to tell people, come do this, it's going to be okay, live in a shield for X number of weeks and, you know, um, come, come join me? Absolutely. So I'll, I'll touch on our experience pre-COVID uh, as we were initially starting, starting to get our player group together. Um, Kat had mentioned our, our other professional softball league, the National Pro Fast Pitch League. So initially this league was built to – kind of play off of that league. So we would play our traditional MPF season, uh, which is a traditional season traveling um, different teams. And and then we would end and then kind of have a little bit of a break and then be able to go in peak season form, postseason form, and be able to compete with Athletes Unlimited. So um, the Athletes Unlimited salary was kind of in tandem with your other salary to actually maybe be able to suffice as a full professional softball salary. So that's how it was imagined uh, when we were in first conversations. So then as we transitioned into a COVID time where that season was eliminated, Olympics were postponed. Uh, we kind of had the, the momentum of softball. This is, this is the softball we have going on. If you want to train, if you want to compete, this is your opportunity. And so that was enticing for a lot of people. We were missing the game. We missed out on our, on the college season. Uh, people furloughing from their, from their college jobs. So um, once that kind of transition started to happen and this seemed like the only an option and it was a great option, um, as Kat mentioned, it was a no brainer for, for those players to, to, to hop on board. I want to shift gears a little bit to sports betting. And um, I know you recently did a deal with DraftKings. Would love to hear a little bit about that. And then Sean from the audience asks a question related how and when does sports betting fit into the business model? How much does Athletes Unlimited plan on leaning into pitch by pitch and other in-game opportunities? Jonathan, you want to go or you want me to go? You're on mute. You're on mute. I, I was going to let you go. You go ahead. So, so it, it, this was one of the topics like from the earliest days of Athletes Unlimited. And I think Jonathan and I, um, we talked a lot about it and you know, from any kind of investor or business plan perspective, clearly you think about gaming and gambling and think about how to, how to make it part of the business. We honestly did have a discussion where we said, you know what, that's not how we really want to start. We really want to lean into the storytelling, really lean into the media piece. We, we hope it will come one day and that'll be, but we're going to let other people do it or figure out we're not going to, we're not, it's not going to be our top priority. We looked into, we, we had some conversations around fantasy, for example, with, with Yahoo and some of the other big players. And we actually got a lot of discouragement there. Like you're a new league, new property. You don't have fans yet. Like how all of a sudden are you going to move into that direction? So we let it kind of, we, we put it a little bit to the side, focused on other things, always knowing in the back of our mind that, that we'd, we'd be revisiting it. And so as we started to get a lot of the other pieces in place, 
um, we started to, to re-engage with some of the bigger players in the marketplace. And what we've done with DraftKings today, and we've announced is a free-to-play pool, um, which um, has actually been, been up and running for a couple of weeks. This week will be the, the last of the season, but it's a really fun, easy to kind of enter, uh, you answer eight questions, the people who get the most right, um, you know, win the prize money. And we've seen a tremendous results so far. We're really pleased with how it's going. Um, and it's just a great way to have fans engage in your sport. And so the questions that you'll see get posted and they'll be posted tonight after the draft is completed. So again, remember guys, it's really fun. You get to watch the games all, all weekend. And then tonight cat and three other players are going to be captains She's going to go into the draft room. You'll watch it on Facebook live. She'll pick her team. And then once those teams are set, the questions will go live on DraftKings. you'll answer them. And it'll be you know everything from which player do you think is going to have more points or um, which team do you think is going to win or, um, how many home, all these kind of questions that play off of our point system. Um, so it's really, really well set up and it's really well set up for in-game, uh, you know, betting. And I think softball, baseball, some of these sports are really well set up for them. Some of the flow sports, as we know, I think are a little harder, um, but something like softball could not be better suited for this. And so again, if you go look at our leaderboard, AUProSports.com, and you see the leaderboard, you'll get a sense right off the bat of like, it's a pretty simple scoring system, but it's going to, it's really fun to be able to see, okay, how many MVP points has Cat had or how many team win points has, has Victoria had, et cetera. And it really is well suited. And I think, um, it's a big attraction for us. So I so think given how well suited it is, aren't you kind of leaving something potentially on the table? I mean, yesterday we were talking with uh, Portnoy and Penn gaming. I mean, what if they just started making a book on your games and all the points that the players were making in the draft? I mean, that seems like well, they can start capitalizing on something that you could, you could be pushing right from the get go. Yeah. I mean, listen, we're not, I'm not, and I don't think John and either, we're not like incredibly expert on, how people and leagues are making all of their money off of sports gaming. I mean, obviously we have the information, we own the information and, and, and there's clearly value in that and real time information is valuable. So somebody's going to want that real time information. We're the ones that are going to own it. Um, two is from a marketing standpoint, it seems like that's the other big place, right. Of, of giving people, you know, marketing rights and other things to your sport. Um, I don't know. You guys tell me how, how leagues and teams are making a lot of money. I mean, Brandon, I don't know. How does that work? I mean, I, I don't get the rights to, you, to you, information. You want, if I'm watching on ESPN, the doesn't, doesn't the book just move based on what I'm watching on ESPN? I mean, obviously you can't in-game betting, which is going to be hot, um, is, is probably not as easy to do, but how do you prevent it? Yeah. But, you, I mean, again, you guys tell, you guys tell us, cause you okay. know, I think this is, I think this is a big question, right? That exists overall. It, how does a new property do it? But it I think is. Marketing it, to your point, John, it's it's not obvious at this point how the leagues are really directly monetizing sports betting uh, in any kind of a big way. Um, it's more I, about increased engagement I was today. Say, the, sure. hope, the hope is to increase engagement. I think some sports need a little bit more of a lift than other sports. Um, Right. So if you, if they did something with Penn gaming, maybe you have Portnoy out there pushing interest in, in whatever the stats yeah, are for the I next game. The draft, I think, listen, the DraftKings relationship, that's exactly right for both ways. Like for, for, I think from their perspective, Hey, we're a new property. We have a new fan base that maybe not as, as directly engaged with them. And so they're excited about it. It's kind of, it's kind of a diversification play. And for us, it's the same thing. They've got a lot of great fans that are super engaged in sports and love sports. And we're seeing that already that the, the fans are engaging in what we're doing. As a brand new sport, it's obviously sort of crazy that on day one, you're on ESPN and CBS, let alone MSG. But, uh, you know, I guess equally crazy. And I, the reason I put it up on the background, sponsors like Nike and Geico. And I mean, 
you know, I, I'm John, you could probably give the whole list, but like, where did all these sponsors come from on a brand new sport? Like what, what brought, you know, all these sponsors to want to be involved on day one? I mean, it's it certainly, you know, I know it's obviously TV is getting a lot harder. Um, to reach eyeballs, you know, is it that simple or what are we missing? Or is it just, there's a thirst for women's sports, uh, maybe for Kat and, and Victoria, like it, it, how much of it is just like, there's just a dearth of opportunities for brands to get in front of uh, female sports viewers or just sport viewers of female sports in general, I guess, is the larger question. I think there's a lot, I think there is a recognition and it's, and, it, and, and like everything in, our industries, like it does take some scale. It's funny, like people worry a lot about competition, but in a lot of ways, like what you do need is you need growth in women's soccer and growth in women's basketball and growth in softball. And that like, it does help create more overall awareness and interest. And so that was what, you know, Jonathan and I talked about two years ago and, and with his partner, Salil, like we, we talked a lot about that. And that was the general thesis was it's something like only 4% of media coverage is, 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 targeted to women's sports. So you don't have to believe it's going to be as big as the NFL to like to have huge opportunity for growth and growth is what it's all about. So for us as the, the, the general perception of the media industry as advertisers grows, they realize that these are, these are athletes they want to be associated with. And honestly, the audience is not female. I mean, it, it is, there are a lot of women, but there are a lot of men that are interested in, 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 what 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 do the demographics look like? Could you give us a sense of like what the audience age demos? Yes. Yeah, so so we don't have the final demos that come out of it, but I'll tell you, we did a big uh, research project in advance, kind of going in um, to kind of support. Well, hey, listen, is this is this going to resonate? And kind of what are the the real like what what really resonates with fans? We got great reactions going in, but it was pretty split. It's pretty much male female. It's a lot of sports fans. The one thing that I think we found was we were attracting new fans and new, and I think we're going to attract more new fans because I think we've done a really good job of the storytelling piece. But for the most part, it's it's sports fans who love this new scoring system and think these sports are are exciting. So um, that's the demo. The demos is, is is male and female. Um, still a little bit more than male than female. Um, higher incomes and then, and well geographically dispersed. So that's, that's kind of the, the general. So I, sort of built, I, I just, sorry, go ahead, Jonathan. Yeah. I just wanted to jump, jump, jump in one, with one thing here, which is, you know, if you look at, at, um, at most of our materials, really almost all of our materials, um, you know, we don't really talk about ourselves as women's sports leagues or particularly, you know, that we have female athletes. Our, our proposition is that we have the best athletes in the world playing the sport at the highest level. Um, and we're doing it in a, in a, in a new way. Um, that said, you know, we know we, that we live in a, um, you know, in an ecosystem where there's a lot of attention to those questions and, and there is a lot of interest in supporting female athletes among brands and, and, uh, and, and being part of that. But I'll tell you actually, uh, you know, maybe we're just good storytellers, but, but if you think about the partnerships that we've built, I don't, I don't think they've really been built off of that. They've been built off of the, of the excellence story. Um, and, if you take Carvana, for instance, which has been a great partner around, around the draft, you know, they they were really interested in the fact that we were innovating, and they think of themselves as you know as true innovators that that, have, that are disrupting the car buying experience, um, and you know attach themselves to our draft, which is all about you know the individual choice and the choice of athletes. So you know similarly with Geico, you know they saw that we were going to reach an audience and they wanted to to reach that audience. So. It's been even since your question, I didn't hadn't really thought about it that way. But our 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 partners are really here because they see the value in the product and they see the value in the uh, in these incredible athletes. 
Um, I guess so not, getting back, getting back yeah. to the kind of the cult of personality um, aspect of it, and, and it seems like you guys are on board and that being meaningful. Um, maybe Kat and, and Victoria can talk about um, how they're using social media to engage with their fans. Uh, I think we noticed that um, Natalie Portman had given their endorsement, uh, you know, in, in terms of uh, the product and, you know, why did that happen? And is it, it going to be a handful of the players is it going to be the leaders. It's going to be all 57. You know, how, how does that factor into um, getting the sport out there? Kat, let's start with you. Oh, I was going to let Vic start. Um, <laughs> okay, Vic, we're starting with you. <laughs> don't confuse um, it. <laughs> well, I think um, just the, the, element of virtual that we've been able to incorporate with COVID has actually widened our spread a little bit. Like Natalie Portman was one of our first pitches. So she had a, she was a virtual first pitch for one of our games, which is really cool. And we've been able to have people that probably couldn't just fly in on a whim and visit our softball game, kind of have that impact on our league, which is special. Um, but the content team that we have here at Athletes Unlimited is truly unreal. I don't know if they sleep. They're doing an amazing job um, creating content for every single one of us athletes that we can use through our own platforms uh, in our own way creatively, but are also being pumped out um, to our larger social media uh, following. Um, but they've really kind of given us the freedom to, to use our voice in anything that we're passionate about. And people can be involved in that as much or as little as, as they choose. And it can be across a, a widespread range of issues. We've talked about racial justice. We've talked about um, our new voting initiative. We talked about our social justice causes, just all of those things. Um, people are really able to portray their, their views and what they're passionate about through our content. Um, Versus it all, all kind of stemming through, through the, the official account. Have you embraced TikTok in that? Cause obviously that seems to be the big ramp of, of interest. Is that part of the social media content that the players are getting on? Absolutely. We have a TikTok account. I'm sure John, John has some awesome numbers. We've had a few videos go viral, which are awesome. Nice. Um, but yeah, through our reposting of plays and then also just creating our own TikToks, um, that has definitely been one of our, one of our major So which, things. which of the platform do you think you've gotten the most kind of leverage off of? So, Just so, anecdotally, even if you don't, if you don't have the numbers, like how does it feel as a player, where do you feel like you're getting the most engagement? Which of the platforms? We're getting a ton of engagement on Facebook. Um, just through our draft, we're getting upwards of a thousand, 2000 viewers, I believe per draft, which is really exciting as it happens live. Um, our Instagram is growing every single week, especially when we're on TV, which is great. Our TikTok is getting a ton of views. And then our play-by-play -play is doing extremely well as well from my own perspective um, through Twitter. So I feel like we're reaching a lot. I'm sure John can speak to that a little yeah, bit. I mean, I'll just, give you like, I'll just give you a couple like anecdotes. I mean, so, so the TikTok story is unbelievable to me. Um, I think we've had now three videos that have racked up over three and a half million views each. We've only, the account is surpassed. Um, some of the other existing leagues that have been up and running. So consistently getting hundreds of thousands of people watching these views. But what's even better is when you read the comments, which I've been blown away by, because I think historically there've been a lot of neg negativity around women's sports. Honestly, if you look on social, there's a lot of trolling and stuff that goes on. On TikTok, it's incredibly positive. Younger fans respond so well to, to these athletes. And I think that's as, as Vanessa says, it's the happiest or it's the sunniest spot on the internet. <laughs> 
Yeah, it really is. I mean, there's a lot of truth to that. And I hadn't heard her say that, but there, there, I, I read it and I'm like incredibly positive. It's so awesome to see. And then, you know, I, I was telling Rich, you know, we have a partnership with a, a company called Wave.tv, uh, which is runs a very significant network of uh, Instagram and, and, and Snapchat channels. And it's most, it's almost all male sports content, men's sports content. Our most recent video that we just posted today, uh, 24 hours ago, um, with highlights from it racked up 380,000 views, which is surpassing most of the content, which is that's a historically a young male audience. So there's no question Instagram, um, you know, Facebook as well, obviously, and TikTok are kind of are kind of leading the way. Kat, earlier you mentioned that you were you joined Athletes um, Unlimited because you were preparing for the 2021 Olympics. Can you talk a little bit about what you expect from the Olympics in 2021? Um, how some of the other participants in the league have been preparing um, with it being delayed a year? And um, is it going to happen at all? <laughs> um, well, yeah, they actually, um, the Olympic Committee came out and said that it's going to happen with or without COVID. So no matter what, the athletes will be going over there and playing. Um, so I think that was the exciting announcement probably about last week or a week and a half ago that we were all just excited to hear because I think when it got postponed, there is the uncertainty in your mind of whether it's going to happen or not. Um, I think this experience is huge for all of us, um, not just to get training, but um, there's four national teams that will be at the Olympic Games represented here. Um, the only two that aren't is um, Japan, obviously, and Australia. Um, so we have, you know, Vic and some of her teammates from Canada, um, myself and quite a few of our USA teammates. We have quite a few from the Mexican national team. And then Erica Piancastelli represents Italy, who's coming out of um, the European qualifiers. So it's just a chance for not only us to prepare, but for us also to gain some traction going into the Olympics from this. Um, people who may not have known Erica Piancastelli was going to play in Italy may follow the Olympics a little bit more closely now. Um, that they know that. Um, same with Vic and some of her teammates. Um, you know, it just kind of gives softball fans another reason to follow other than just following your U.S. national team um, to have a little bit more broader fan base um, for all of us. And, um, you know, this has been a great training ground, but I think more than anything, it's allowed all of us to kind of expand ourselves as not just athletes, but people and get to know other people and um, I know personally it's going to be really probably harder playing in the Olympics now because I have actual real friends on other teams, not just people I know of. Um, so as much as I'm going to be trying to strike Vic out in one game, the next five games I'll be cheering her on. Maybe just uh, I got two kind of final wrap-up questions. We'll start with Victoria. What does this all mean in terms of Athletes Unlimited? Um, what does it mean for women's sports in general? Like, just give us your perspective on what Athletes Unlimited, I mean, I know it's not just women's sports focused, but at least initially it is. And so what does this mean for women's sports? It means, it means so much. I mean, um, just talking with our group of 57 and then to think that there's a whole nother group of volleyball players kind of in that same boat, but so many people were either retired or considering retiring and Athletes Unlimited is keeping them in the game. And we see so often in male professional sports that people really only hit their peak at a much later age. And our softball athletes or women in general aren't giving themselves the opportunity to really reach that peak. So athletes, I mean, Pat's sitting here, I 
we we know she's one of the older people in the game. I won't I won't age her here, but um, <laughs> wow, that was harsh. Her, harsh. Her, wears her age on her her uniform number, so it's more. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm I'm almost as I'm almost as old as my uniform number. So, <laughs> but she's better than she's ever been, and she's thinking about playing next year. And just to have the great people in our game actually achieve those peaks and be able to grow the game and and see the female version of Derek Jeter in their prime and all of that is so great for growth of sports and so inspiring for for young people to actually see it as a profession that they can do not just for a year or two at, out of college, but actually as a prolonged actual profession um, for young kids to look up to. So I think it's been a game changer in that sense. I'm so proud of how many people are in the game now that would not have been just strictly because of athletes on Monday. Uh, and then John, Jonathan, maybe just sort of to wrap us up, um, and then Walt's got one final last uh, question. But when you think about this as a sport um, or as a business, I shouldn't say as a sport, as a business, you know, how many to, to make this into the size business that you want it to be? Do you need seven leagues, 10 leagues? Do you need male and female? You, you know, like what, what's the, give us the long-term vision. Like, uh, you know, obviously you're starting with, you know, two, I know you've got plans for a third, but like, is this in five years in success? Is this 10 leagues spanning men, you know, women's and men's or like, where does this go from here? Like, I mean, I assume you're doing this to make money. So what's the plan? Well, I'll, I'll give you a partial answer. So, so, so Jonathan actually, and, and there's a, there's a longer conversation, which is too hard to start at the, at, at, at the end of the conversation, but part of the, the model is, is a new capital structure model. And Jonathan, we're not going to go into a lot of detail of it here, but Jonathan's actually put it, put in capital and capping his return. So the profits that would typically come from his share are going to go to the players over time. So with his, his role, he has a slightly different equation. I, I, I am here and a number of our employees are here and we're incented by equity and profit participation and all that. So I definitely see this as a big business opportunity and, and one that I'm excited about. I love the fact that we're benefiting the players, but I'm driven by, by, by the economics. Um, and um, I think the answer is we need, as this is a, it's a little too trite, but we're going to need smart scale. I mean, we definitely need to get to three leagues. We definitely have our sets, our sites set on four. I think after that, what we are considering is maybe having two softball seasons, like two six week seasons. We're not going to start to expand the season and start to have an eight or 10 or 12 week season. We're not going to start to, you know, have teams in multiple cities. That's not the vision. This is not like a pathway to becoming a traditional league. It is, we're going to stick to this model. Um, and a lot of that's going to be dictated by by the viewership, right? I mean, you know, there there's there's a really great example. One of the things we've cited um, in, in in India, one of the you know most successful global sports properties, the you know is the Premier League of Cricket in India, and that's a ten week season, I think, or twelve week season, um, and they've done an incredibly good job. And we see the same thing with other. So we're all about like high impact, keep the the season. So short. cricket, cricket is next. No, I don't. I mean, listen, cricket's already a huge industry. And, you know, I mean, we, we have a very, you know, American centric, but, you know, you can't, I mean, you know, it's a huge sport in other parts of the world. So no, but uh, like, as you drop a list, I mean, obviously you mentioned that softball was on your list. Like how long is the list? Like, is there, are there 20 sports between men and females, you know, male and female sport? Like how broad is this? Like how many things yeah, can you do? And I think that's the interesting one. I think that sports four and five, there's a pathway that are like, is clear to us right now that we would go into. I think when you start to get past that, I'm not exactly sure I could give you the answer. Like, I don't think we, we have focused on team sports um, and 
we've stayed relatively traditional. So it doesn't, it's not, it's not, we don't have a vision for 20 of them. I think we probably go deeper into sports that we know or we like. So softball would probably be, we go deeper and add a second season of softball before we add, you know, some new, you know, newly created sport that that's, you know, a little crazy to us. You don't have to worry about us, you know, doing anything in cornhole or like, uh, you know, <laughs> Jenga. Jenga. And- <laughs> and and I'm and I'm not going to take you through the capital structure. We'll save that for another time. But I'll I'll just say I'll say these two things. Um, you know, one is you know, despite what I said before about you know not not talking as part of our branding about being women's leagues and dealing with female athletes. Our you know we can be a meaningful part in creating real professional pathways for women to be true professionals in sports that they love to play. That's a huge win. Um, it's a huge win for them. It's a huge win for all the girls and women who admire them, um, look up to them as role models, and and that's that's transformative. And and we're incredibly motivated by that uh, by that mission. And the second is, you know, as I said before, the folks who've joined us in in these early days are true pioneers. And one of the things that I'm really proud of in this capital structure is giving them all profit participation that's going to carry through for 20 years. So when we're hugely successful 10 and 15 and 20 years from now, the folks who signed up, they didn't sign up for profit participation. It signed up because, you know, there's a salary and bonuses incentives around, around the play, um, you know, by and large, but they're going to benefit from that down the line as well. Um, We've seen across every sport across history, people have built up their sports with their, with their sweat um, and their and their toil, and then you know, as those sports have gotten huge, you know, they they didn't really get much from it. Um, and so the ability to to create intergenerational and also intersport um, equity among the athletes is is really really important to us, and something we're very proud of. Well, I'll Rich, I, I was going to ask, like, what's the, what's your first pick in the draft? But maybe we'll just go with. Um, <laughs> It's a big uh, question, by the way. Cats hey, well, well you, you know, I've been waiting to say something That's about the draft, so you've been careful. <laughs> the draft, you, everyone, I really do encourage people, if you want to get a taste of just how we're doing things differently, it's on Facebook tonight. We live stream it at 7 o'clock Eastern. It's easy. It's facebook.com, AU Pro Sports, and you just go watch it. You'll see Carvana presentation. You'll see how we do it. And, and you know, this isn't going to be – like the highly produced NFL draft at Radio City. That's not what you're getting, but you're going to see fans interacting. And if you join up or join our unlimited club, one of the cool things is you get what happens is I just got to give you the thing. The players, as they're picked, go into Zoom rooms. No, I got to pitch you. You're watching it, but then the players all get sent into their Zoom room. So Kat's Zoom room starts to fill up with the players she picked. And if you join our unlimited club, you get to peek into that unlimited, you get to peek into the Zoom room and hear them talking about the next pick. Now, how cool is that? If you're a fan of a sports team or you could see the, if you could see your general manager and their team talking about who they're going to pick next in a draft, I mean, that's what fans want. They want that untraditional access and that's what we're giving them. So and you uh, pipe in some booing when the commissioner comes on to announce the pick. And we have a, see, we, we don't even have, we don't have a commissioner, so there's no booing. It's easy. All right. One last question. Who's winning the Olympics? Yeah, USA or Canada? <laughs> we'll agree to disagree. And have fun in the Zoom draft room.
Thanks, John, Jonathan, Cat, Victoria, thank you for doing this. We really were fascinated by, I mean, the whole concept of trying to rethink the sports model, uh, not just for women's sports, but just for sports in general. I mean, I think there's a lot of sports that, you know, we talk a lot about it, Lightshed, about sort of the, the struggles that a lot of current sports are having, feel tired and, and are not fresh and sort of meeting viewers where they are right now. And what John just even just described with the draft, I mean, I can't imagine how many sports that sounds like that would be amazing for that type of experience versus what we're all used to so good luck we hope to learn more as you get into sport number two this uh this uh, winter and um talk soon thanks guys appreciate thank it you. thank you yeah thank you